Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Not Suitable for Anyone, the show where a guy no one asked discusses movies no one's watching. And today we're discussing the 2017 indie folk horror Dogged. Um, But before we get into today's movie, uh, I wanted to kind of take a minute and give some context around the, uh, you know, sort of the, the creation of this podcast, and in particular, um, sort of the level of movies that we're dealing with so far, and, uh, you know, that we're, that we're going to be talking about, you know, sort of uh, going forward, uh, because you have, uh, on sort of your scale of things, at the high end, you've got your big hit Hollywood tentpole movies, um, and then below that, you have your cult movies, uh, and then below that, you have obscure movies, and then below that, you have the movies that uh, that we are are talking about. So just to put uh, a little bit of uh, you know put some numbers uh, to some of this stuff, uh, if you take a look at statistics in Letterboxd, uh, now if you're using the Letterboxd app, uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, they're not paying me to say that. Uh, maybe they should be. Um, but at any rate, the Letterboxd app is is really neat. Uh, helps you, especially if you like to look back on, you know, how many movies did you watch in the past year, and what did you think of them, and what was your favorite. Uh, and if you're if you're like me and you watch a lot of movies, uh, you you probably can't remember them all. Uh, I know I couldn't, so um, so I started using it, and it's great, uh, and a lot of people use it. Um, and one of the things you can do is uh, you know, it gives you all kinds of uh, statistics, uh, you know, aggregate ratings, things like that. But it also just gives you just in raw numbers how many people are logging, um, you know, a, any given movie. Uh, so if you look at something that was really big, um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, like Avengers Endgame, uh, half a million people, uh, logged that in Letterboxd as, as having watched it. Um, and then if you look, you know, it's just within like the horror community, uh, you know, something that's a little bit smaller, but still was a really big film, uh, it chapter two, uh, it chapter two has about 240,000 views, uh, according to Letterboxd. Obviously the number of people who've actually seen these movies is, is a lot higher, but it just gives you, you know, sort of a relative scale of things. You know, Endgame was more than twice as big as it chapter two in, in general. It might be skewed a little bit more because, you know, maybe your genre fans and horror fans are a little more likely to be using Letterboxd than, you know, your rank and file movie guard. Anyway, not the point. Um, then you take a look at something that is more of a cult film, like Mandy, uh, the Nicolas Cage movie that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, Mandy has 108,000, uh, review, uh, views on, uh, on Letterboxd. Um, and then getting down into, you know, more of the obscure indie horror, uh, something like The Devil's Candy, uh, which is very, very popular in horror circles and in the indie circles. Uh, outside of that, probably not as well known. Uh, it has 17,000 views, according to Letterboxd. Um, you know, a step below that is, you know, maybe something like Let Us Pray. Uh, Let Us Pray is something that, you know, that modern horrors in particular had, had raved about, um, but still really hasn't broken through to the mainstream at all. Uh, Let Us Pray is sitting at about 4,700 views. Um, okay, so that kind of gives us a, a little bit of a scale, and... What I wanted to do was sort of run down the list of, you know, sort of the movies we've covered so far and uh, and where they sit in terms of the number of views on Letterboxd. So far, the most, you know, quote-unquote popular 
a movie that we've discussed so far uh, is Our Evil. That's the Brazilian film uh, with 794 views. Now, again, Letterboxd is probably weighted more in favor of of U.S. and maybe European audiences. Uh, Our Evil is a British film. Uh, excuse me, a Brazilian film. Anyway, it's probably a lot more well-known down there, less well-known in uh, in Europe and uh, in the U.S. At any rate, Our Evil 794. Uh, and then the next one below that is Antimatter uh, at 698, uh, followed by uh, Disco Path going all the way back to episode one uh, at 415. Uh, next is Camera Obscura at 334, followed by Clickbait at 283, Molly with 151, and then uh, Murder Loves Killers 2 at 95. So that brings us uh, to today's film, uh, again, which is Dogged uh, by Richard Roundtree, uh, sitting at only 91. So uh, that just gives you, you know, kind of the, the scope uh, and scale, really, that we're that we're dealing with. And when I say obscure, I mean these films are obscure. When I say that you've never seen and pro- may never have heard of these movies before, uh, I really, really mean it because because almost no one has. And they're like these little gems that um, that I enjoy, that I've discovered, uh, and that I want to share with all of you. Um, so uh, with that sort of you know background um you know having been having been laid i want to now introduce uh today's guest writer director richard roundtree hello thank you for having me so richard is uh the writer and director of a a film called dogged which came out uh, at least here in the states in uh, around 2018 or so uh richard why uh, don't you tell us uh, a little bit about it and what makes it so unique so it's um it's it's quite unusual for a, a, an indie horror uh, in that we we tackled a subgenre called folk horror, uh, which was kind of very popular in the 1960s and 70s, and um, it focuses largely on the, the horror of the landscape and uh, rural communities um, and people with uh, skewed uh, religious and moral beliefs and. We felt like that there'd been a few films since the, the sort of 70s that have dealt with it, but we wanted to uh, see if we could have a go at, at bringing that landscape into a, a really, you know, a low-budget indie uh, movie and, and see if it would gain any traction. And we had a great response on the festival circuit. We played a lot of festivals, uh, won several awards and, and, and managed to get distribution out of that. Um, and the film came out on DVD and uh, VOD. And um, it's it, it, it's a slightly divisive one because I think um, a lot of uh, modern horror fans are not necessarily familiar with the, the the subgenre itself, and so they're a bit taken aback. And and at the end of the film, I think sometimes uh, if they've never seen a folk horror movie before, they're not quite sure what to make of it, and and maybe <laughs> even don't categorize it as horror. Um, but uh, it's 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 certainly more of a, a psychological thing. There's not lots of blood and guts, and you know. There is a bit of people being chased around the woods with knives, but <laughs> we get that. <laughs> right, and I'm I'm definitely one of those you know people who maybe didn't didn't quite get it at first. Um, you know, I will admit to being not at all you know, versed in folk horror. Um, I have seen the Wicker Man, um, but that's uh, but that's about it. So you know, what are some of the main uh, you know folk horror influences and some of the things that um, you know that maybe 
uh, if people have experience with, they can you know sort of begin to to understand uh, you know sort of where Dogged is coming from and and where it fits in in the landscape. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a very um, niche one, and I mean, you know, the 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 kind of classics of the subgenre, you know, are things like Witchfinder General, which is you know set hundreds of years ago, and so doesn't necessarily fit in with the you know the 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 viewing habits of certainly you know. Uh, horror film fans under the age of maybe 30 um who are not used to seeing that kind of thing um there's there's a, a british director called ben wheatley who's kind of made a bit of a leap into hollywood in the last few years and um he did a movie called high rise uh, and he did um free fire with brie larson um a couple of years ago and before that he'd made uh, a, a couple of folk horror films on albeit bigger than my budget, but still a relatively small budget, um, called Kill List um, and um, uh, A Field in England. And they're both ones that, you know, if you if you want to explore kind of how that, that subgenre is going, they're good ones to, to, to kind of lead, lead into it. So what I've come to understand is that, you know, sort of common uh, characteristic uh, in these type of movies is to have your community uh, isolated uh, somewhat from, you know, the rest of society. Uh, so, like in The Wicker Man, uh, you know, they're on an island that's only accessible by uh, by a seaplane. Uh, you guys came up with uh, what I think is a, a rather creative uh, uh, solution or, or setting for this. So, uh, you know, tell, tell us about that. Um, I'd actually been working on a, a horror movie called uh, The Woman in Black, which I guess audience will be a bit more familiar with as Daniel Radcliffe from uh, the Harry Potter movies in it. And um, we'd been working on that shooting at a, a tidal island. And I'd never come across the concept of a tidal island before where you could only get on and off for, you know, an hour or two hours every day. Um, uh, so that was the, the kind of inspiration that we brought into that and thought, well, you know, th this makes it a lot easier for, for us to shoot budgetary wise and, and kind of keeps it plausible as well. Um, but again, I, I, not a lot of people uh, are aware that these tidal islands exist. So there's a few people kind of, you know, question you at festivals like, wow, you know, how did you come up with this idea? And we're like, well, this is an idea. This is this is the thing that actually exists, you know. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's important to remember um, because, yeah, these these places are real. And this uh, where you the place where you shot is actually uh, also a, a real tidal island. It wasn't just just a concept. Uh, written into the movie you actually found one uh, to shoot on right yeah yeah so it's uh it's over on the east coast um and uh it's a privately owned island um and there's a, a music recording studio there and stuff and kind of celebrities go there for to do rehab and stuff so um we were we were lucky that they let us on to shoot they, they weren't too keen at first but we managed to convince them <laughs> <laughs> That's great, um, and I'm glad you did because I think it I think it works out really well. Um, so we haven't really you know sort of gotten into uh, what the movie's about. Um, so we, but we've got this setting now, um, and and I guess just to kind of you know recap the movie or refresh it um, you know for people who have seen it, the story follows Sam who grew up on the island, but he's been away for a period of time. He's coming back now to attend a funeral for this young child uh, on the island. And at least in Sam's mind at first, there is a mystery uh, surrounding the circumstances of this girl's death. It becomes increasingly suspicious the more Sam looks into it, 
the paranoia picks up as we start to meet a cast of very strange and very suspicious characters, all of whom feel like they have something to hide. Uh, Sam ends up weighing way over his head before he has time to realize it, and as the tension and the mystery build up, the island starts to become like a character unto itself in the film. It puts some restraints and boundaries and time limits as to, you know, sort of when people can get on or off. Yeah, it gives you that ticking clock, doesn't it? And and that's always good with any screenplay, I think, regardless of the genre. You need something to, to move it along a little bit, particularly because our protagonist, he's very passive. He's not the go-getting kind of uh, protagonist that you would normally get in a, in a horror film who is, you know, kind of actively fighting off baddies and, and monsters and what have you. He's the kind of guy who, if that happened to him, he's going to kind of shrivel up in a ball. And to make him a likable character and to move the story along, we had to bring in a number of other elements, other characters who, who are always pushing him in, in a direction. You need to do this. You need to do this. And that was very much a conscious choice. But again, I think um, it, it's quite difficult for a lot of horror audiences to reconcile because they're used to seeing protagonists who uh, go through this arc where by the end they're very strong characters and and Sam never goes through that and you know that was an intention so trying trying to explain that to people as well is uh, is, is always a little bit difficult for them to understand sure and to keep the focus on Sam uh, here for for a bit uh, before we get into the other characters um, you know what's what's interesting or at least what makes him you know maybe a little bit more uh, relatable is that he is, is sort of stuck in this, you know, sort of arrested development uh, stage where, you know, he's not quite an adult. He's still, you know, kind of dependent on, on his parents. When he comes back home from, from uh, university, he's he's staying with his parents, but he's had that sort of first taste of, of independence, uh, you know, of, of living away, being at, uni- at, the, at the university, being exposed to new people and, and new ideas, and now he's, he's sort of coming back. And he's kind of having to try and figure out, you know, sort of where he fits, you know, back into uh, back into this world uh, after, you know, after you know, being away. From well, that, that's um, exactly right. I mean, when we were writing it, we very much had in mind, you know, when, when you know, in the UK, I know it's a little bit different with with ages and what have you in the states, but in the UK, you go to university at the age of eighteen, or most people do, and you go away in the September, and the first time you come back is probably you know, just before Christmas. And when you go away, you you know, you've been kind of mollycoddled at school and, and you're still very much a child. And you have this this huge range of experience in the first two or three months when you're away. And you come back and you feel like a different person. You feel like you're an adult, but you come back and your parents still, you know, they, you know, it's only a few months has passed for them. They, they, they still treat you like a child and, you know, you, you still get treated the same way that you did three months ago, but you feel 10 years older. That, that, that you know, that was a really unsettling thing for me um, when I went away from home. And, and so we tried to bring that into the story, the way that uh, Sam's character interacts with his parents. You know, his dad's kind of always been on his back riding him and his mum very much kind of, you know, wraps him in cotton wool. And, you know, so that, 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 that dynamic was uh, important for me to get right. Yeah, and that's great, and that's one of the things I actually really like about indie film is, uh, you know, in a mainstream, you know, sort of studio film, uh, you're almost never going to get a protagonist like that. Um, They're all going to go through, uh, you know, like that arc that that you said. 
granted. Uh, there are valid reasons uh, for storytelling purposes, but also marketability and, you know, sort of mainstream audience expectations. Um, but for, you know, for someone like me and, you know, hopefully, you know, the people listening who, who watch a lot of movies, we, we see that all the time and, and it can get stale and, and boring. So it's, it's fun to have an environment like this uh, where you can play around with this and not have, you know, these sort of stock uh, character tropes and you can really sort of branch out and tell a story with a, a, a different type of character and maybe a, a more uh, realistic type of character. For sure. And independent films are one thing, but, you know, the the, the scale of independent that we did where we were um, crowdfunded, that gives you even more scope. Because at the end of the day, you know, as a filmmaking team, all you're working towards is getting, you know, your team happy. You know, you don't have stakeholders, even people who've put, you know, $2,000 or whatever into the, the Kickstarter or Indiegogo, whatever it is. They're not looking to get their money back. This isn't why they've, they've invested in it in the first place. Whereas if you, if you get people from outside who are starting to come in, then, you know, you start getting uh, whispers in your ear, oh, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. And, and. To have complete 100% creative control over it is something that's, that's wonderful for a filmmaker. Obviously, it leads to you being a little bit self-indulgent. Um, uh, but I think as long as you take on board the the kind of constructive criticism uh, as you move along the project, you know, you 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 find your path. I mean, we we one of the big criticisms we got about Dogged was the length of it. Um, it was an hour and 56 minutes and and I can see that that's not you know that's that's 25 minutes or, or 30 minutes longer than your your kind of standard fare but we felt like we needed that long to tell the story to introduce all the characters and, and one of the big festivals um, said to us look we we like it but um, if you can cut like 25 minutes out of it then we'll screen it but otherwise we can't screen it because we do one and a half hour screening blocks and we, we, we went away as a filmmaking team and we thought about it and we thought about what we were going to have to cut out of it and how that would alter the, the whole dynamic of the story. Um, and, and we didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. So we didn't do it. You know, we, we would rather pass on a festival and, and be true to the story. And that's really important, especially here where you've got you're, you're juggling actually a very large cast uh it's not just sam although sam is you know sort of clearly the main character um but you've got his relationship with his parents and his girlfriend and then his girlfriend's father who's also you know the the, the town uh pastor and um and then you've got all you know sort of the various townspeople um uh, and all sorts of you know different nefarious characters um so you know juggling all of those characters all those actors different locations uh, around town is uh, is extremely ambitious uh, yeah, stupid you know, the proper words <laughs> <laughs> we yeah we had 22 principal cast and we were in locations all over the UK and it was just, you know, it was a very, very naive thing to attempt with the, I think we ended up, after we paid the, the crowdfunding fees, I think we ended up with about £13,500, like fifteen, sixteen thousand um, sixteen $16,000. And, yeah, it was naive, but, um, you know, it's like I say, everything is a learning curve, you know, when, when you're, you're, you're making movies at this level. And as long as you're trying to make them with the right intent, I think that, uh, you can you can be forgiven the the mistakes you make here and there as long as you rectify them with the next one. Sure, that's true. Um, but still, I mean, what's it like to you know to juggle uh, such a large cast like that? We only had one day where we had everybody there, 
Um, but overall, we had 19 shooting days. And I think most of those days we had five or six of the principal cast. But we, we, you know, we had scenes that were logistically, you know, quite difficult to organize. So we had there's a scene in a church where we needed to to kind of fill this church. And the church is enormous. So we were like, well, look, we've got to shoot it, you know, from this particular angle. And then we can put people and and stagger them in the pews and and make it look like it's a lot more full than it is. I mean, I think we had about 40 extras or something in the scene, but it looks like a lot more. And, um, it, you know, ev- everything we, we try and do, uh, we try and do creatively and, and, and cheat things. So wherever we can cheat something, you know, as long as it's convincing, we will do it. And so things like that were, were you know, again good learning curves um one of the ones that <laughs> was a bit more awkward was uh that there's a nighttime scene around a sacrificial circle uh when uh, the the badger cuts the heart out of one of the characters and we we realized you know look we're shooting at two o'clock in the morning and it's freezing cold in in october and um we've got you know our five guys who are the the, the main characters as it were in the cult but we need to get a lot more guys so we made all the all the male crew members take off their tops and we painted these symbols on their chests and we were like, just go stand over there for a minute. We'll bring you an animal head. <laughs> when you put it that way. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we had we had like three quarters of the crew were, were over there in that scene and things like that weren't necessarily thought out because we were so tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I've, you know, I've heard stories from you know, movie sets where, Uh, A lot of people are, you know, just sort of running on pure adrenaline and just kind of making decisions on the fly. So, um, you know, I think you're in familiar company there. Uh, But still, I mean, you know, when you need, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 people for a scene uh, for a low budget picture, you know, I mean, how do you how do you even wrangle, you know, that uh, that number of of people? Because a lot of these, you know, are done on crews that are very small. Uh, you, You may not have, you know, you may not normally have 30 people between cast and crew even uh, around or available on a, on a given day. So how do you manage that uh, on such a low budget? We, we, the, 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 the daytime scene, uh, which is actually like the end scene of the movie. We, we planned that one properly. And, and so it was really weird. I was like, I was figuring out, I need, you know, I need 20 or 22 guys on this particular day. And where am I going to find 20 or 22 guys who are going to come and stand with their shirts off outside, you know, in the cold all day and, and do this? Um, and then uh, I got a, a call from uh, a friend of a friend who said, oh, I'm organizing uh, this other guy's stag do, you know, his bachelor party. He was like, do you want to come along? It's on this date. And I said, well, actually, I said, I'm shooting that day, but um, I have this great idea. <laughs> and I said, so why don't you guys come down and uh, I'll buy you a couple of slabs of beer and uh, you can sell it to them as, oh, they're going to be, be in a movie. This is like a really unique experience for a bachelor party. And then you can all go out in the evening afterwards. So <laughs> so we had this this group of like 16 or 18 guys turn up and uh, and and they were prepared to do it. And they all thought it was great fun. And it was kind of a win win situation. So, yeah. Wow, that's so random, but, you know, but I bet it was great fun for them, and, you know, and it helps the movie out, so I guess, you know, it doesn't hurt to to be a little bit lucky as well. Um, so, 
changing topics uh, a little bit, I want to talk with you a little bit about movie titles um, because you know you've got uh, you've got Dog It Out, uh, your second film uh, is called Nefarious. These are both sort of one word titles uh, that are you know words that you know maybe people have heard and been thrown around, but they're maybe not necessarily you know everyday you know, vernacular. Um, so, you know, what are you looking for out of, out of a movie title? Um, you know, how did you, you know, how did you sort of come up with this? Um, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think, um, one of the ideas behind it is, um, that we, you know, we want people to engage with it a little bit, you know, with the title, you know, it's, if you have a, a title and I'm just making one up, fucking out of thin air so if there's an actual movie called this i apologize but you know i don't know uh you know big scary monsters from hell or something like this you know straight away what you're going to get uh, when, when you pick that up on the <laughs> shelf and and i don't i don't necessarily want people to just take everything at face value so when we're writing um I think probably one of the things that that certainly festival audiences fed back to us with Dogged was that they appreciated the the layering of the story and the layering of the characters, and it wasn't just an attempt at you know let's make a movie because we can. It was it was a let's make the best movie we can because we want to, and and part of that comes with the titles. And so I think with Dogged, I think um it's it's less commonly used than nefarious and so we have at the beginning and at the end the 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 kind of reveal of the dictionary meanings and with the one at the Mm -hmm. end it goes a little bit further so um we had the the line about grim persistence um uh, at the end of that and i think you know like you say it is they are words that people are familiar with but perhaps don't use every day and um it's funny you should bring this up actually because uh, i've got a cousin who lives in buffalo and um she said to me recently on facebook she said look i think you know we're hearing the word nefarious in the news every day describing our president at the moment so i think by the time your movie comes out everybody's going to know what it means <laughs> <laughs> and so you know that's kind of a, a bit of a boost but um it, it it's funny i you know i do get asked about the titles a lot and why don't you choose something that's a bit more kind of you know suitable as it were but i you know i'm not i i think as a group of filmmakers we're we're of an age where you know we're not in our early 20s and trying to make it in hollywood or anything like this we're we're a group of guys who've worked in the film industry for long enough to know that you know the top zero 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 one percent of people make it in hollywood and and even when they do they're not always necessarily happy because they're just you know churning out things like you said earlier where people are getting involved let's rewrite this let's do this let's do this let's cast so and so and and even filmmakers that i know in the uk who have worked on a you know relatively big budget kind of one million dollar movies they get told this is your lead actor and you know this is your secondary actor and they don't have even at that level they don't have the level of creative input that you would expect and and for me that takes all the fun out of doing it and i would rather i'd rather continue making movies at the level i am and and do them in the way that i think is proper and uh respectful to everybody that's involved 
rather than just making and again i'm not casting any aspersions here but like i don't ever want to make a slasher movie they're 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 just not for me i'm not I, i can appreciate watching them but i don't feel like there's anything i can add to to the slasher movie subgenre that hasn't already been done whereas trying to interweave uh, slightly more interesting uh, threads to to existing subgenres that i don't feel have been overexposed is is much more important to me so going back to your original question this is one of the <laughs> things about the titles being able to have that creativity to you know creative freedom to be able to uh, call your film something like that i think is important as well and and kind of you know hopefully helps us stand out a little bit as somebody who you know we're not going to bend over backwards just to please everybody as long as we're pleasing the people that we want to please if that makes sense that sounds terribly conceited and i'm not but um yeah it's 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 kind of an artistic i guess you'd be amazed how many times people who haven't seen it and they they find out the title and they say is it about dogging and do you have dog? You not you aren't aware of the the concept of dogging in the states, or? No, I can't say that I've heard that. Okay, so this is a this is a thing where uh, uh, people uh, strangers meet up in 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 dark car parks and uh, uh, watch each other have sex. Oh so my god! This is called dogging, and this is a this is a thing. And oddly enough, this is <laughs> there was a documentary on about it. Uh, just before we started making uh, Dogged, and um, uh, it was a Channel Four documentary, and and these guys who were standing around watching this couple having sex were all wearing these animal masks, and I was kind of like, oh my god, like this is blown everything we've just written down, like. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, a lot of people still ask me, oh, is your movie about dogging? I was like, what sort of horror movie would that be? I don't I don't even want to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of a few people that uh, that might appeal to. I'm I'm sure you know you could definitely get that picked up again. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, that's great. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit here uh, because you also, in addition to um, you know, making uh, crowdfunded uh, features like Dogged and Nefarious, uh, you also uh, work in the film industry. Uh, for your day job, um, and it's something that you know, maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. So uh, you know, maybe uh, tell, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I well, I mean, you know, not one in particular, but um, you know, I'm lucky. I, I I get to work in the the film industry, you know, as a day job as well as you know, doing it for fun. Um, but obviously, my role in my day job is a lot more limited in scope. So uh, I'm a greensman. Um, a lot of people aren't familiar with that term, but basically. I deal with anything that is uh, either plant-based or a natural landscape uh, for film and TV. Um, so that can be anything from deserts to jungles uh, or to just a house plant, you know, on the windowsill of a house in a shop uh, and everywhere in between. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that I get to uh, experience what it's like on very, very big budget movies sometimes and and see how they do things and see the what i perceive at least to be the uh, heinous wasting of of money uh on certain things that you know i just even things like stationary budgets you know you go into the, the stationary room on a, a big feature film and 
you know, there's forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of stationary pencils and papers and paper clips and <laughs> things like this, and it drives drives me nuts when I think I'm standing there looking at it, going, "Well, I could make two or three feature films for this kind of uh, stationary budget." <laughs> um, so I think I think you you learn. You do learn a lot of good things. I've just been um, I've just been away in the uh, Middle East for two months, uh, working on a big budget movie out there, and uh, the the experience was fantastic. And it, it was probably the most I've learned for a long time, uh, seeing the way that that team uh, worked. Um, and 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 at the other end of the scale, I say, you know, you 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 work on movies where sometimes the director just doesn't show up one day and they cancel the whole shoot and there's a, a unit of 200 people there and you just think this is insane how does anybody's ego let them get to the stage where they're not going to show up to their job and they're going to cost the production you know however much it is 200 300 thousand uh, dollars because they don't feel like coming to work that day and it, it's just mind-blowing that you know studios will accept that because the 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 quality of of films um, across the board for my mind there's not there's not so much difference between for example a Spielberg movie and you know something that um, you know Ari Aster's making you know for fifteen or or twenty million dollars you know um, that that justifies that amount of difference in budget and I would I would rather see a, a more diverse uh, range of films being financed at a lower level than you know just you know I don't know how it is in the states but you know when we go to the the cinema in the UK there'll be 10 screens and you know I took my kids a couple of weeks ago to see Avengers and Avengers is on in nine of the screens <laughs> and you just think I you know put Avengers on on two of the screens and give some of the smaller movies a chance and finance the smaller movies. So the, the, that whole arc of uh, the, the, the amount of money that gets spent on the, the very big movies is, is probably the, the, the thing that I've learned most to uh, kind of try and reconcile in my head <laughs> as much as anything else. Right, because you know you watch you know even a um, you know a, a relatively well-funded indie picture, you know something that's maybe fifteen or twenty million dollars, uh, and sometimes it's hard to see um, you know much of a difference uh, other than maybe talent, um, uh, you know tier level of talent uh, between that and you know a picture that's maybe in the you know the fifty to seventy million dollar range. Exactly, um, and I mean this, you know, you know the, the the fees that. Um, you know, people command for you know certain actors command and and directors will command. It, it it's just not justified for me. I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not the sort of person who, with one or two exceptions, I you know I'm not going to just go and see a movie just because Tom Cruise is in it, for example. If it's a movie I want to see and Tom Cruise happens to be in it, I'll go see it. But you know the the spending that sort of money on on a, a tent pole i understand why they do it i understand that it's a business and everything else and i don't want to sound naive but it you know at the end of the day i i unfortunately i think uh the the film business has been kind of you know wrong and wrong and wrong and uh it's time to to bring a little bit more creativity back into it and and open up people's viewing options uh, a little bit which is 
well i think you know things like netflix are great because they're broadening people's horizons a little bit by making their own original content on slightly lower budgets with kind of actors who are not necessarily big names and it's giving it's giving more filmmakers a chance to to be be creative rather than just working for the the, the machine no that's a very good point um yeah because you were seeing a lot more of that lately uh and you know people are able to find uh, these you know lower budget films that maybe they wouldn't have had access to before or just wouldn't have known where to look uh, or maybe maybe even just have only you know experienced them you know like watching them on cable TV or something uh, which you know would be edited down and wouldn't really be uh, you know an ideal experience um, it was, as long as we're talking about you know budgets and things um, you know you've made a couple of crowdfunded uh, pictures now I guess where do you see yourself you know going from here? Um, you know, looking for, you know, maybe, uh, you know, more financing and, uh, and, and bigger budget pictures, or do you, you know, want to stay, you know, maybe more in, you know, the sort of the tier, uh, that you've, that you've been in so far, what's, uh, you know, what's, what's next? It, it would be great to have a little bit more money to, to play with. I mean, so, uh, with the, the crowdfunding, you know, we've got this incredible crew and, uh, everybody works, nobody earns a penny. Everybody comes down because they love doing it. And um, that's a very special thing. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's a, a, a slightly difficult situation to judge. And, and I was chatting with the, the guys about this the other night, because once you do start introducing money uh, to, to the equation, you take away part of the fun uh, of doing it. Um, I mean, the, the people we've got all work in the film industry anyway, um, and they're all very talented. And they're they're not necessarily heads of department um at what they do in their paid job but they get to be the head of department uh you know on on these films so it's you know they get the chance to to show off creatively uh what they can do um uh as much as anything else and you know we're, we're all very firm friends and and it's a wonderful experience working with these guys and and i would love to keep doing it over and over again but there's obviously going to be a point where their goodwill kind of runs out and they go, do you know what? I, I'm kind of, uh, I can't give up 12 consecutive weekends this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great to, to uh, work with, work with an investor. Um, we've, I, our next project, oddly enough, um, is, is we're probably, we might have to crowdfund a little bit uh, towards the end, pay for some of the post-production stuff, but um it's quite an interesting uh, concept, which I'm not going to give away, but uh, we we're fairly confident we can we can uh, afford to to shoot uh, the the movie um, very very cheaply and kind of self fund it, and then the the post production side of things will will certainly need a, a little bit of help on, I'm sure. But that's that's a fun way to go because we're we're trying something. Uh, again, which we haven't done before, and something which we're all fans of, uh, as we we are with kind of home invasion and folk horror. Um, so we're going to try and do a midnight movie this time, and um, hopefully that will uh, that will turn out well because the 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 idea behind it is that we um, we we have so much fun on set, and we're you know there's so much laughter uh, amongst the cast and crew that. We felt like trying to introduce a little bit of that 
and the the kind of very dark humor that gets shared on a horror film set uh, <laughs> is kind of quite remarkable and and so to to bring an element of that in and um you know make it you know not a horror comedy necessarily but a, a kind of a dark horror with with elements of dark comedy in it um kind of really appeals to us so we uh we're working on that one at the moment and um we're hoping to get it shot before the end of this year so move things along and then uh, and then by then nefarious will have had its festival run and we'll see how that does and uh, i mean i'm i'm really intrigued with nefarious to see uh what the audience reaction is going to be because the people who who enjoy dogged aren't necessarily going to enjoy this because it's you know the polar opposite you know intentionally the polar opposite of dogged. Right. it's fast-paced dark you know kind of there's a lot more kind of blood and guts in it um uh, which which again was something that we wanted to experiment with and and one of the criticisms that we'd had about dogged people like well it's not a horror movie because you don't see enough blood and we were like well this time we're definitely going to show you enough blood (laughs) (laughs) that's great okay uh well richard i'm i think we're gonna have to leave it there um i want to thank you for uh you know being on the show and being a guest i really appreciate you you know taking time out of your day and uh, you know talking about uh talking about these movies uh everyone you know listening uh please uh please check out dogged uh it's uh it's really interesting if you're if you're into the whole folk horror thing uh then i think you'll really like it i think it's a really good example of you know sort of what that uh, subgenre can do and uh i think it's uh extraordinarily well made um for uh for the budget and uh the limitations uh that richard and his crew were were working with uh so i think it's just a really impressive uh, impressive achievement um it's available everywhere you know to rent uh, or to buy um i think uh, you might even be able to catch it on uh, on amazon prime in uh, in certain areas and uh, definitely look for Richard's uh, second film, Nefarious. Uh, probably we'll uh, we'll have him back on to uh, to talk about that uh, at some point down the line, because uh, that's another one that I think is is really neat um, and really fun, uh, and also you know a very different very different style. So please uh, you know give that one a, a watch as well. And until next time, uh, of course you can always uh, keep in touch with me. Uh, over on Twitter at NSFA Pod. Uh, you can also send me an email that's at notsuitablepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on Anchor, you can actually send me a voice message uh, just using the icon on the podcast landing page. So, yeah, hit that up, send me a voice message, and you know, you might just hear yourself on the show. Genuinely love to hear some feedback from some of you. I think it'd be great fun. Uh, I'd like to make this more of a conversation really like to figure out you know ways to do that and just just get more people and more voices involved so give it a shot and i may try to you know think of some ways to incentivize people to to do that Uh, but anyway richard thank you very much and we'll see you next time thank you very much thank you for having me on it's been good fun